I don't have the time or the bandwidth to sit and chant hymns all day. For me, the path of karma becomes the easiest and probably the most practical thing. This is In Good Faith, listening to first-person experiences of faith and belief. On In Good Faith, it's our privilege to hear stories and accounts from believers told in their own words. Our hope is to listen with an open heart, celebrating the power of faith and belief and what those stories mean to the ones who tell them. We're so happy to be speaking in good faith today with Preetha Lal. You have a smile already, and so do I. I have enjoyed setting this up and just our communication, so I'm very much looking forward to this. Thank you, Steve. It's a pleasure. It's an honor, and it's humbling to be on campus after quite some time. <laughs> you do have a master's degree from here at Brigham Young University in organizational behavior, and before that, from India mm-hmm. in corporate HR. Correct. So you know your stuff. Um, I, I pretend to very well. <laughs> At the end of our emails, you've used the emoji of the hands together, namaste. Namaste. Mm -hmm. Which means? Well, namaste, and I recently found out, jokes apart, that that is actually a high five. (laughs) (laughs) But I prefer to use it as a namaste. Namaste is a very typical Indian greeting, uh, pretty prevalent across the country, length and breadth. And what it says and what it connotes is that I bow to your spirit inside. I I, I salute the, uh, the divinity within you. Um, so it's a way of saying hello, but the deeper meaning is that. It is a deeper meaning. It is. It is. And I've, I've learned that in yoga classes at, uh-huh. at the end, uh-huh. too, which for some reason doesn't surprise me that you're a people person because of, <laughs> of HR and organizational Yeah, behavior. I actually started my life in economics, and then I realized halfway, almost three-fourths of the way through my master's, and I was doing pretty good, but uh, that is not my calling, and I left it and, and joined a pretty good business school back in India. But yeah, people is where I find my energy. You grew up in Kolkata? I grew up all over the place. I grew up in different parts of India, in Mumbai, in Kolkata, in Kanpur. And a good part of my life was spent in Kuwait because my father worked at a petrochemicals company Mm. there. So from grade six through grade 12, I was in Kuwait. And so when you're talking about faith, I had a very good very good immersion into Islam there, just being in that environment. And So uh, you knew about different people and different faith traditions from yes, an yes. early age. And, and as, you're, as you're aware, India is so diverse, right, the length and breadth of it, that every city we lived had a different language, different customs, different cultures. And given the way we have been brought up, thanks to my mom and dad, it was all about, and to use her words, she always said, imbibe everything good you see, you know, take it in and keep your heart and mind open to that. And I I still believe that. That's what I hope to pass on to good my advice. child. Very good advice. Very practical <laughs> advice, you know. At what point did you think to yourself, well, here are all of these traditions. Mm-hmm. I'm growing up in one of them. Mm-hmm. Is this the one for me? Did you ever think that? Uh, that's a very, very interesting question. Um So I think that's where you go back to your roots of your faith in some ways. And so to answer your question about tradition, it has a deeper connotation for me in terms of where my faith lies. Mm -hmm. I'm a Hindu by birth, but when you look at Hinduism, it is very, very wide in terms of all the gods and goddesses. You know, there is a there are a million gods. Literally, there's this is in the scriptures. They say there there are a million gods. But and and then you're familiar with the godheads of Ganesh and Krishna and Shiva and Durga and and all these. But my faith and my tradition and who I aspire to be and and I hope I can be. I, it's it's a continuous journey lies in the concept of what is called Vedanta, 
And uh, I'll explain the word in just a second. From the Vedas? From the Vedas. It is actually, the, the word is a, is a, is a combination of uh, the word Veda, which is, you know, you're, you're familiar with the Hindu scriptures, the, scripture. the Vedas. The Veda, it also comes from the word Vidya, which is knowledge. And Anta or Ant means the end. So the meaning is the end of knowledge or the goal of knowledge are those certain ideals that is propounded by Vedanta. And uh, that talks about essentially three things. It's a oneness of existence, okay, uh, the universality of religions and faiths, and finally, the inherent divinity in your soul. So when I go back to traditions again to answer your questions, these are the three principles that that I've grown up with. In simple ways, when my mom would explain it, or the little books that I read of uh, the Ramakrishna Vedanta philosophy, and Ramakrishna, if you Google him, he was a saint. I look up on him as my God, mm. you know. Um, um, and Vivekananda was his first disciple. Some people call Ramakrishna a prophet. Some people call Vivekananda a prophet. But at the end of the day, they're men of faith, men of immense fortitude and wisdom. And uh, their philosophy essentially is a very practical application of Vedanta in our daily lives. And that's, the, that's what I grew up with. So in, in small ways, uh, when, my, you know, when I was little, my mom would explain if, if someone else is hurting, it's the same as your pain. Just because you're not hurting you should learn that empathy for another human mm. being because that is your oneness of existence right there. That's your practical application, yes. right? And so my traditions were based on that, on, on kindness and, and good behavior and empathy. And I grew up Hindu, and the Hinduism aspect is more of the cultural aspect. And I grew up very proud and comfortable in that. I still am, as you can see. I would have worn a sari had it not been so hot outside. <laughs> <laughs> but I decided, hey, I'm going to wear my bindi and, you know, and I am very comfortable with it because because that's that's why. Yes. So this was this is where my grounding lies and, and I can move around anywhere in the world and feel comfortable in my skin being that way. We connected through an article that Correct. I read mm -hmm. talking about your life experience and the photo there yeah. has you in your home Correct. in front of a beautiful shrine. Yes. Yes. So is this something that you personally choose which objects that you want or or where your devotion is, is, it is focused? It is a choice. Um, that shrine, I have to say, is something that my husband built me. He's hmm. uh, He built this in his um, in the garage. <laughs> and uh, the pictures there, it has uh, Sri Ramakrishna, who I just mentioned, his his divine consort or wife, uh, Sharada Devi, we call her the Holy Mother, and Swami Vivekananda, who is, who is his first disciple. And at, at the bottom, there is a picture of my spiritual guru, uh, Swami Ranganathananda. He uh, passed away in 2005. Interestingly, he visited Utah a very long time ago and actually visited campus as well then when he 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 traveled the world extensively and so those are the four entities i have that i choose to worship in my shrine i also have on the other wall i have pictures of ganesh and, and lakshmi but yes that is the path i choose to follow I can't ask you to speak for all Hindus mm -hmm. because that's impossible. Yes, there is quite a few of us. <laughs> and I don't know everyone. <laughs> you haven't quite met all of them yet. No, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> but these various deities, Correct. are they all manifestations of one overall being? 
Yes, yes, that is that is a very beautiful, succinct way of saying it. So when I talk to you about Vedanta and that oneness of existence, and you're probably familiar with the term Brahman, you know, uh, which we believe is the universal supreme power, Godhead, higher being, however you want to define that, which is not something that can be bound within within the confines of an image or an idol hmm. and therefore is hard for anyone to kind of just grasp and put their arms together and worship as a personal god so hinduism also talks about a personal god and that is where the different deities come hmm. in and each of them that's where the cultural aspect of hinduism comes in where you have stories on ganesha you have stories on shiva you have relational you know ganesha shiva's son Durga is his wife, you know, Durga is uh, Ganesha's mother. But we look at Durga or the female godheads as uh, as a manifestation of the supreme feminine power of the universe. So, yes, so there is a, there is a universal light, if you will, and that uh, comes away in, in, in different forms that we worship. You know, I wanted to ask you how your beliefs mm-hmm. affect your everyday walk and behaviors and choices. You've already alluded to that with your Uh mother saying, if someone's feeling Uh pain, to learn to feel as if it was your your own. Are there other ways that that influences what you choose to do? Yes, and and I will go back to that philosophy of Vedanta again, because the older I'm getting, you know, one of the things when we were, when I was going through some of the things that we were going to talk about, one of the questions was, has your faith changed over time? Oh, yes. You know, and I think that's a fantastic question. And it was very clear to me that my faith hasn't, but my understanding of it has. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. You know, uh, so I see it differently as I saw it before. Because of life experience? Because of life experience, because of being, less transactional with God and more transformational <laughs> and I have to use those because is, I'm an MBA student is come transactional on how we all start well I think when you say you believe in God versus when you are spiritual that's where you make the difference between transactional and transformational hmm. and I am very clear on this simply because when you believe in an entity there is a one-on-one connection which is which is very important where you start with but when you realize that entity also resides in your fellow being then that relationship is much more universal and if i am not doing that right then i am not living my faith correctly mm. and so to go back to your question of how i see it in everyday walk i i see it in the way i am raising my child the way i'm interacting with my community the way i'm answering my own callings as a member of my own family, of as a friend, as a wife, as a daughter, in, in all of those aspects. And if I'm able to do those three things. And one of the other things that Vedanta talks about is, you know, the ultimate goal. And Swami Vivekananda talks to this very clearly. He mentioned this in the Parliament of Religions in 1893 in Chicago when he was, when he was invited to speak. He talks about the inherent goal of human life is to manifest the divinity that is in your soul. It doesn't happen overnight, right? And so th- there are four basic paths to do that. There is a path of bhakti or devotion, which basically involves prayer and chants and mantras. There is a path of jnana or knowledge, which basically means your your ability to reason, to argue, to look at texts and treaties. There is the path of karma, which is selfless duty. And there is a Raja Yoga or the path of meditation. Now, 
I don't have the time or the bandwidth to sit and chant hymns all day. And I have a horrible voice. So I think God would run and hide in some cave. Um, so that's not going to happen. Uh, as far as Gyan goes, I think I am much too ignorant at this point in my life to say that I have doing much worthwhile. I, I will try to read, but my callings lie right now in taking care of funny people puppets with my child, I think. And then there is meditation, again, um, not, I don't think I'm that focused yet. So for me, the path of karma becomes the easiest and probably the most practical thing. So in my daily life, it fits this time of your life, it fits this time of my life, it fits this lifestyle that we all most of us live in. You know, it is not very hard to follow that path in my daily walk and feel my faith. Uh, whether it's 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 in my own family or outside, to be able to do that. So, you know, the gentleman who takes care of our yard, if he's thirsty, I should feel it within me to give him a bottle of Gatorade without having, without thinking twice. Otherwise, I have, again, not seen that divinity in him that is the same as me, mm-hmm. no matter what his denomination is, no matter where he's from. You yeah. mentioned in the article that you had had a daughter recently. Of course, now she's nearly five. She, she is. She's actually here with us. And yes, she's she is. She's just as cute as a button. <laughs> she and, is a good girl. And quite precocious <laughs> um, and remarkably quiet. Yes, yes. She is She's a doll. You wouldn't even know she's here in the studio. But you said at the end, they quoted you at the end of the article mm-hmm. saying, if I have created and leave behind me one good person, mm-hmm. I've certainly done a good work. Yes. Yes, I would, I, would, I would maintain that till the last day. Yes. There's a quote that is often attributed, I think, to Longfellow or I forget who, but something about to leave the earth a greener patch and one redeemed social condition. Do you know what, which one I'm talking about? Yes. But that's what it is. I mean, if I feel that I have raised her to be a truly good global citizen, in that that she's able to feel for another human being, she's able to make decisions, and most importantly, live the consequences of her decisions, then yeah, I would have replaced myself with a better human being, I think, <laughs> you know, and, and that's the least I can do to the world. God, you know, we, we, we do enough damage to this earth anyway, so. I'd like to ask something that I'm sure must be a bit personal. Go ahead. When we first talked, you said, mm-hmm. we'll need to actually do the interview when I'm back from India because mm-hmm. my father's not doing well. Yes, I'm going to yes, visit. Yes. Well, as it turned out. He passed away. He passed away. Mm-hmm. But you were there. I was there, not when he passed, mm-hmm. but I was able to go within a week as I was planning to go and anyway. And be with the family. And be with the family. I was able to be with my mom and my brother. So this month has been very interesting for me in terms mm. of Uh, validating many things of my own faith. And again, I think because my faith holds me strong and that I believe that the soul goes to a higher place Mm. and that that my father is not in his mortal body. And as as it hurts like, I don't want to use the word, you know, it hurts (laughs) that bad. But I know, I know he is happy where he is. Mm. And when my heart hurts, my mind is able to calm it down with that reasoning. So it was wonderful to be there with my mom and my brother and my sister-in-law. And and recently, my father-in-law is also very ill. My husband was in India for a week. He just got back on Sunday. Mm. He's under an end-of-life hospice care at home. So we knew this was going to be the year that we're going to, you know, Mm. have to say goodbyes. But uh, 
I hope and pray they have prepared us and they'll feel proud of the children they've left behind. Because a lot of people said this, that, you know, Preetha, you'll never get over the grief and it's going to be, it's going to plague you and haunt you. And and I listened to them and I think I was a little arrogant then when I said that, you know, then I'd be a hopeless daughter because my father lived with adversities all his life. My mom has had many struggles. I have never heard them complain once. So if I cannot do this, then again, I'm not living my faith right. So why little hurt all my life? I, I think I will do what I need to do to keep myself going with a smile. Yeah. Oh, it's interesting. I've had and spoken with a few other people who felt like in some ways those very important transitions, mm-hmm. the birth of someone, the mm-hmm. marriage of mm-hmm. someone, the passing yes. of someone, yes. are those times maybe you feel the most alive. Yes. And connected to the reality of all of this. Exactly so. Exactly so. I cannot agree with you more. And for me, her birth and her presence in my life, I feel is a blessing from God every day. And in some ways, I see God in her. Because right now, my karma is to be the best mom I can be to the best of my limited abilities. And and that's where I see with my dad's passing, um, this one month gave me a lot of understanding on the power of faith, mostly through my own mother. Mm. And if you talk about my pillars, apart from my spiritual godheads, she's my greatest pillar. Because, you know, this woman was a sole caregiver for my dad for two years, um, given his condition. Mm. And today, you know, she... Of course, she, she grieves, but uh, she's not broken, you see. Mm. So, yeah, those are the times when you connect most. And when it comes to that difference between what people who believe in God feel and those who don't, which was one another question that mm. I absolutely thought was fascinating, are two things, essentially. One is to be able to take these life-changing circumstances in the right perspective and make that connection between your head and heart and know where those where that clarity lies and the other part is to feel insurmountable bliss at times for no reason i think people who believe <laughs> have you i mean you know i look at a sunset and i mean if you if you see me on facebook you probably block me because i have like a million pictures of sunsets and i know it's because of the refractive indices of light or whatever but no to me that's god right there speaking to me with a beautiful rainbow or something. I think it was Mark Twain that said, Uh we lost more than we gained when we figured out what a rainbow is. Oh, how beautiful. Isn't that interesting? That is beautiful. So speaking of bliss, Uh you have a self-published book on Amazon called Blissful Discontent. Discontent. Yes. So what was the inspiration for writing Um, this? My little girl sitting on her little uh, cot looking out to a toy that was hanging from top, you know, those little rotatory toys. Yes. And uh, she was looking for it. She, she kept trying to reach it. And then she did. And I gave it to her. She looked at it for a little while. And then she dropped it and she wanted the next one. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is exactly what I worked with in HR and OD forever. Hmm. You know, contentment is very relative. And there is a blissful discontent that enables motivation. If you're happy with your current state, you will never progress. And so my my whole book was more of a validation of whatever little I understand of OD and whatever tiny bit I was understanding of parenting and to put them together and come up with a few chapters on that. Oh, well, this seems like something I need to read. Uh, well, yeah, well, that would be nice. Thank you. I will send you the link. <laughs> 
You live in a place where you are not surrounded by Hindu temples、Mm-mm. and physical manifestations of the religion of Hinduism. Um, okay, go ahead. I'll, I'll, I'll and so I wonder, do you miss that, or because it's not everywhere, do you hold to it more strongly?、Um, fantastic perspectives. Yes, the the closest temple is the Spanish Fork Temple、mm-hmm. and the one at Ganesh, the Ganesh Temple in in South Jordan. So we visit those often. I have the shrine at home. And what I miss most, I think, are、uh, the temples that are dedicated to Swami、uh, Vivekananda and Sri Ramakrishna, which are back home. So every time I make a visit home, even if it's for a week,、mm. uh, my mom insists we we make a trip, and so I, I go offer my prayers. And the second thing I miss most is the festival, the、mm. festivals of India, the, the all throughout、Pucha. the year. Especially after fall, Parijat, my daughter's name, is named after a flower that is offered to Durga during her worship, which is usually in the October,、uh, September, October timeframe. And then you have Diwali, which is the festival of lights. So yeah, I, I miss the physical manifestations of those a lot.、Um, but when when I say those are the physical manifestations of Hinduism, yes. But if I were to go back to where what I believe in in terms of the physical manifestation of divinity, then it's all around.、Me. All、mm. the time, and I have found it so deeply in Utah. Given the people inherently are so spiritual, so welcoming, you know, I've had missionaries come home, and we've talked, and I've made sure they get some drinks before they go, and they've <laughs> cried, and I'm like, well, your moms would want that, and that made me cry because you know I I had her when I was forty, but you know, had I had her earlier, I would have children their age. Exactly. So those manifestations are everywhere, and. The older I'm getting,、uh, the more I realize that you just have to open your heart to grace, and it's there.、Mm. You mentioned that, that your mother, being sort of a source of light, wanting to be, you certainly、uh, feel to me like someone who projects that, who is who generously shares that with others. My, my I, mother, you mean? Or no, it's come through you,、oh. and now you do it too. Perhaps you just learned that naturally. I, I, I would hope so. I mean, that that would be. Thank you. I take that as a very humbling compliment. Thank you. Are there questions you have that you think will I ever get an answer to this? I don't think I'm smart enough. <laughs> <laughs> you know,、uh, we went to Denali a while ago、um, in Alaska, and outside the visitor center, it had a quote, and it's still with me. It said,、uh, "Denali gives you answers to questions you have not yet learned to、mm-hmm. ask," and it's still with me. I don't think I have learned to ask the right questions yet. But I will tell you, in the last month, and even before, as my dad was slowly regressing in his health, one question that I kept coming back to is, "Why him?" You know,、mm-hmm. this man is probably an epitome of righteousness.、Um, he's done everything by the book. He has lived his life based on the ideals that I am prattling on about. So has my mother. But why him? And where did he go wrong in his karma that he suffered so much? And that's when I when I talked to my mom. I sp- spoke to some spiritual guides. They talk about past lives and the dues we pay before we are able to be united with the Brahman, because that's the ultimate goal: is that you you are united with the light. And usually it is and in that cycle of in、rebirth. that cycle of birth and death.、Mm-hmm. And because you, your body perishes, your soul doesn't. And as you take on different life forms, your soul transcends. So. Those are some of the hard questions, and maybe my answers sound rote right now because that's what I've heard. I don't think I realize it to that extent. Maybe someday. One more question.、Uh-huh. You mentioned the importance of a spiritual leader, a, a guru, or a yes. swami. Yes. 
Why is that an important aspect? There are differing thoughts on this, and I and I respect each and every perspective. Um, to me personally, the guru becomes a conduit between you and the god mm-hmm. or a god. Um, for me, Swami Ranganathan, though, when I left India, I knew I was going to be here probably for the rest of my life, and I have been. It's been nineteen years. When I left, one of the things he told me, he said, Preetha, it doesn't matter where you are in this world, carry India with you in your heart and mm. you'll be home. And that's what I've done. I've always done that and I will continue to do that. So so things like that, and when I read of him or I read his expositions of the Gita or his understanding of you know, the, the things that I made notes on, a lot of it are his explanations. And so I don't have a God to ask I had a guru to ask. I mm. can go back to his treaties and, and ask and find answers. So, so that's where I so find someone with, help. with the experience, the perspective, mm-hmm. who's spent the time learning, mm-hmm. who can see where you are. Correct. And, and, and help you get. It's like a teacher. Why yeah, would we need yeah. a teacher in our life? Or, or, or another parent. Or another parent. Exactly. A guru is, is a parent. You know, your mom, dad, and your guru. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. How do you feel you communicate with God? And mm-hmm. how do you feel that? God or the universe mm-hmm. communicates with you. Um, we talk all the time. <laughs> there are voices in my head. No, um, I think I communicate with God just like I'm communicating with you. Uh, when I had to say my goodbyes to my father, when I knew he was going to pass, I just sat in my shrine. I cried and I told God, I, I looked at Sri Ramakrishna's face in this mm. picture and I said, take him. This is it. I mean, come on, enough already. Mm. You know, I cried and I said, how much longer are you going to do this to this man? You know, you know he's done. You know he's not coming back. So it was very direct. Mm. Um, I've never learned to ask God for much. You know, it's never been transactional for me. When I was little, my grandfather used to recite a mantra where he used to talk about asking for three things. was wisdom of your head, devotion in your heart, and unwavering faith. These were the three things. It was wisdom, devotion, and faith. Till date, I've never been able to ask him and say, oh, make her well or help me get a better job because I feel he knows what you want. Be mm. careful what you wish for. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's how I communicate. As far as hearing back, uh, the universe speaks to me all the time. I, I probably sound a little arrogant when I say this, but, but no, it does. No, I don't think so. I think it, it maybe does. your ears are open. I, no, it, I, and one of my Zumba instructors says that. She says, Preetha, you, you have a recipient's heart. She actually used that word. So I, I hope so. I would pray for that. But I think the universe speaks to me in, in various ways, in, in the way uh, I might open my eyes and see a beautiful flower or the way my child is growing up or this particular interview. I mean, how amazing. What a humbling note for me, for my lifetime of memories to think I'm sitting here talking to you. And when I, into the outside, outside world, this is a predominantly LDS faith-based university. It is an LDS state. I mean, heaven knows how many prejudices I get and heaven knows how defensive I am about Utah, you know, because I'm like, you guys have no idea what you're talking about when you talk about Utah with all your biases. It's not like that. I've lived here. I know. So how amazing is this particular experience? It's this moment. It's right here when when the universe talks to you. It's amazing for me, too. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Appreciate that. Is there something I should have asked or that you really wanted to add that we didn't get to? No, I actually cannot think of. Oh, I liked one of your questions, which talked about, um, is faith something um, 
ethereal and mysterious or something solid and practical. Yes. Oh, heck, it's tangible. It's mm. very tangible. There is nothing mysterious about faith. I wanted to say that. Britta Lal. Yes. Thank you for speaking with us in oh, good faith. Thank you. Thank you. I, I am so, so grateful. So grateful. Thank you, Steve. Thank you for tuning in to In Good Faith. In the second half of the show, we'll talk about some of the teachings of Sri Ramakrishna, and a panel of listeners will discuss some of the ideas presented by our guest. Back in a moment with more of In Good Faith. This is In Good Faith, listening to first-person accounts and stories of faith and belief. In the first half of the show, we spoke with Prithan Lal, and our conversation included several mentions of those she venerates, Sri Ramakrishna and Swami Vivekananda. According to the website of the Ramakrishna Mission, Ramakrishna lived from 1836 to 1886, and even as a young boy in a village near Calcutta, he sought for spiritual knowledge. In his intense desire for union with the divine, Ramakrishna followed several different religious paths, including various branches of Hinduism. He also practiced Islam and later meditated deeply on Christ, experiencing, he said, the same divine reality through these non-Hindu paths. Thus, he came to the conclusion, based on his direct experience, that all religions lead to the same goal. I asked Pritha Lal if she would share with us a few of Sri Ramakrishna's most memorable teachings. Different people call on God by different names, some as Allah, some as God, others as Krishna, Shiva, and Brahman. It is like the water in a lake. Some drink it in one place and call it Jal, others at another place call it Pani, and still others at a third place call it water. The Hindus call it Jal, the Christians water, and the Muslims Pani, but it is one and the same thing. One can ascend to the top of a house by means of a ladder, or a bamboo, or a staircase, or a rope. So too, diverse are the ways of approaching God, and each religion in the world shows one of the ways. A truly religious man should think that other religions are also so many paths leading to the truth. One should always maintain an attitude of respect towards other religions. I love this one in particular about the pearls. There are pearls in the deep sea, but you must hazard all perils to get to them. If you fail to get at them by a single dive, do not conclude that the sea is without them. Dive again and again, and you are sure to be rewarded in the end. So also in the quest for the Lord, if your first attempt to see him proves fruitless, do not lose heart. Persevere in the attempt, and you are sure to realize him at last. The reason I like this is because not all of us are pursuing to see God per se, but we are pursuing different things in our life that may seem just as perilous at times and not as rewarding most of the times. But it is there. There is a result. There is an end. And so to persevere and to endure, this one, this one strikes home. As a lamb does not burn without oil, so a man cannot live without God. There's a little story that we grew up listening to, the numbers 1 and 0. You cannot have any value to the number 0 on its own unless you attach a 1 in front of it. And once you increase the number of zeros, keeping the 1 there, the value obviously exponentially grows. 
So my mom used to tell me that God is your one. And every action that you do, keeping him at your helm, will give you that increased value. That which you think you should speak, let there be harmony between your thought and word. Otherwise, if you merely say that God is your all in all, while in your mind you have made the world your all in all, you cannot derive any benefit. And this goes into one of the basic tenets of Hinduism of separating the real from the unreal or the whole concept of maya and illusion and making sure you're able to traverse those paths and to get to the core, which is, you know, to your Brahman. Therefore, the harmony within is important to see and to make those right choices. And also, the harmony is important so that you're not a hypocrite. <laughs> Knowledge leads to unity, ignorance to diversity. By unity, I think what this stands for is unity of understanding, of truth. Ignorance to diversity. Diversity is not a bad thing in itself. But having half-baked knowledge or incomplete knowledge will often stray you from where truth lies or how you interpret truth. And, uh, you know, as I've been listening to some of your previous shows, that's the point. If you're ignorant, you will have misunderstood many of the things that people have talked about. And so this drives home really well. When God is realized, the world never appears empty. He who has attained him sees that the Lord himself has become all these, the universe and its creatures. As long as I live... So long do I learn. This is probably one of the key things, if I were to look at the philosophy of Ramakrishna, it's probably one of the key things that is most doable in the simplest of ways. And one of the things that we grew up learning and understanding, it doesn't matter how old you are, you always need to be humble enough to keep learning. So this one is a dear one to me. You should love everyone because God dwells in all beings. And to tie to that, there's another really nice quote is, God is everywhere, but he's most manifest in man. So serve man as God. That is as good as worshipping God. If you research the Ramakrishna website on, on Ramakrishna or Vivekananda or any of the websites associated with the movement, you'll find a lot of work is done around service projects across the globe. And the whole idea is exactly that, to serve man as God. Because we don't see the, the face of God, we see the face of man. So actually when Swami Vivekananda first approached Ramakrishna, one of the things he mentioned is, do you see God? And Sri Ramakrishna said, yes, I do. And he said, where, how do you see him? He said, just as I see you. And that is translated into action in the way the movement and the organization is run in a, in a very, very practical, service-oriented, karma-yoga-oriented way. Sugar and sand may be mixed together, but the ant rejects the sand and goes off with the sugar grain. So pious men lift the good from the bad. 
And this talks about when you have that divinity within you or you have your values, you're able to pick up the good. It doesn't matter from where, but you can. And that is the purpose in life again, to be able to do that in a meaningful manner. Again, going back to as long as I live, so long do I learn. Are you picking those things up from others, from your environment and being humble enough to take it in? The supreme purpose and goal for human life is to cultivate love. And it's a universal kind of love where once you start to see God in man, you start to love man as God and every action becomes a prayer. Do you find a spiritual connection in reading the words of spiritual teachers and leaders you respect? Do you have meaningful quotes or scripture passages you keep in mind or review to stay in touch with the divine? We ask a varied group of people to listen to the interview with Pritha Lal in the first half of the show and share their thoughts. Melanie Lundberg is a mother of six, a former PTA president, and a former member of a public radio station's community volunteer council. Lauren Swanepoel, mother of two from South Africa, works as a hairstylist. Spencer Vickers is a freshly returned Mormon missionary who lived and served in the Czech Republic. Spencer's brother-in-law, Brian Crum, is a graduate student studying neuroscience. He's a husband and father. Lauren, when she was talking about carrying India with you in your heart and you will always be home, I thought of you because you just got here from South Africa and we've spoken a lot about that. It's been fun to hear you talk about that. Did that feel like comfortable to you so much I didn't realize that I missed Africa or felt like I needed to keep a part of Africa with me so much until I walked into a store and I I saw a giraffe and I I had to take it home and then I decided that I needed a bit of Africa in every room of my home to remind me of my roots but I also feel like if I had to leave Utah what I would keep in my heart would be the mountains Wherever you go in life, you can find something that you would want to keep in your heart to remind you of the things that have happened in your life and the people that have formed you into who you are and to remember your faith no matter where you are. I grew up in East Tennessee, and I kind of feel that same sort of nostalgia and keeping that with me. And it's it's really helped me be who I am and to hold on to those ideals of Southern hospitality. And I haven't lived at home now for over 14 years. And it's still just, it's me. It's who I am. I totally resonate with the Southern hospitality. Brian knows that I was raised in Texas and the feeling of love and friendship is just so thick, if you can say that, about how uh, we live down there. And I haven't been back to Texas in about six years now. There's a lot of friends back there. There's a lot of people that I haven't seen in a long time, and I love them so much. She spoke about her parents and how fabulous they were in in her home life. I think that that kind of where you live in a broad term is important, but that where you live in your home home and where those people are, um, that's huge. That's just giant. And I loved how she spoke also of her role as a parent. One of my favorite things that she said is that she wanted, I don't remember who she quoted, but if I have created and left behind me one person, I have one good person, I have done a a good work. 
then she said she wanted to replace herself with a better human being. And I think that is like my ultimate goal. I have um, six children and I, I was working outside my home for a while and then uh, I decided to go home and just be full-time at home because that was a lot of people to be taken care of. And sometimes I f- have felt that maybe that choice of leaving corporate America was um, made me less valuable. But the longer I live and the more I see the contribution that they're making in the world, I feel like they are my best contribution and my gift to the world. And being able to share that and take the time to to infuse that, um, that karma, um, that selfless duty of being a mom is fabulous. And what a great, what a great reward. It doesn't pay well, but the benefits are, are fantastic. I loved how she talked about her educational background in organizational behavior and how she also studied corporate human uh, resources. And how you said, Melanie, that her family and your family are such important foundations in both of your lives. She started in economics, but she figured out that people are her calling. I've really seen that in my life. I was serving a uh, voluntary mission for the church um, that I go to in the Czech Republic, and I figured out that I love people a lot more than I thought I did. When I was a high school student, I was kind of the person that was more relaxed and laid back. I played American football, and I loved sports and everything, but I was never a social person until... I realized that true happiness comes from serving people. And it's been a process of getting out of myself, but I've really found that my faith has helped me to realize that when I serve other people, I see how much happier they are, and that brings a great joy into my life. I also loved it when she said that she changed her career path and how people is where she finds her energy. And I, um, when I was at school, I, was, I wanted to study optometry. Then one day my mom said to me, what do you want from a career? And um, not what you want to do, what do you want from your career? And I decided that I wanted to be creative and I wanted to work with people. And so I became a hairstylist and I'm able to work with people every day. And it's people from all different faiths and be able to understand that we actually all have a common goal and that we do want to be better in life. We want to be an example to others. We want to feel people's pain. We want to help them. And I love being able to do that and being able to help people to look and feel good about themselves in the process too. Yeah, and she's good at that. I've had my hair done over there and therapy at the same time. It's actually a super good deal. Thank you. All of that really ties into how she mentioned that her mother taught her to imbibe every good thing you see. It wasn't just imbibe the good things that you see Hindu people do or Christian people do or when they were in Kuwait, what the Muslim people do. It was every good thing. And that that way we are able to see that common divinity in each one of us, no matter where we come from. There is that spark of the divine inside of each person. For her, that started at a very young age from her parents, from her home, teaching her that. And she's kept it with her. 
everyone would really benefit from that same ideal, especially in the world that we're in today, to remember that there is that divinity in each one of us and everyone you see on the street. They've, they've got it too. That's a beautiful concept. Sometimes I think, though, it's a little bit hard to – it feels a little bit ethereal that everybody's got divine in them sometimes can be a little bit hard. And I've found in my life that a lot of times when I see people who have done bad things or people who are scary or <laughs> just just seem like you know a little bit shaky or whatever, if I can remember that that's somebody's child, that that, that person has a mother – my soul is is open. I'm open. I want to help. I want to be more kind. I want to be more, uh, what, more forgiving. Because I think he was a kid, that homeless person, that somebody is somebody else's child. And for me, that that feels good. And that feels real. That's the same thing that my mom always says. She loves her kids so much. And when she sees other people that don't have enough, that don't have everything that our family has been blessed with, she always says, well, at least that person is someone else's child. And at least we know that that person has some form of love in their life. I think that that is really what my faith has given me as a person. And I think that's really what Preetha's faith has given her as a person is love at any point, anywhere in their life because we know that God up there is caring for each and every one of us, no matter if we're in a great school or if we're not fortunate enough to have a home over our heads. You're listening to A Conversation in Good Faith with a panel of listeners sharing their thoughts after hearing our conversation with Pritha Lal in the first half of the show. Now back to the conversation. I don't have a shrine in my home but I have a passageway where I have a whole lot of photos hanging up and they are photos of all family members or people who have made a difference in my life. And when I see their faces looking at me, I want to be a better person. And those people have led a way for me so that I can have all of the wonderful things that I have in my life and, and have molded me into the person that I am. And I want to take that and help my children and hopefully they can have a photo of me up one day and and look at that photo and also want to just be a better person in life and and to be able to help other people and to have empathy and to be kind and I love looking at the photos down in the passage. She spoke of um, blissful moments. I don't think there's well, my, my family in my home brings me happy and warm feelings but I don't really have a spot in my home that that does a lot of that for me. Um, what I found is when I leave my home is when I see, when I have those moments. She spoke of, of those blissful moments that she has because of her belief in God and the way she sees the world as a gift from Him. My family, we went to Yellowstone about oh, probably eight years ago, and I started to cry about the second I walked in there till the day we left, and we were there for about five days. Everything was so beautiful. And I just looked at everything, and I saw God's hand everywhere we went. And the things were so diverse and so so much contrast there, but so magnificent and so beautiful that I just wept. Like every time we'd go see something new, my kids would just laugh at me and say, oh, no. And I'd just sit there and cry because it's so beautiful. His, his handiwork in nature for me is, is all I need. If I walk out of my home and see those sunsets, see the mountains, see those things, I feel like, like – 
those are my reminders that God is in his heaven. For me, returning back from the Czech and Slovak Republics has been a difficult coping experience because over there it's a different language, it's a different culture, it's just a different mindset really and I grew to love those people and they really felt like my family. Well, when I got back here, a place that has been very special to me and it's given me a similar feeling is it's a building that we call the temple. And the temple is a very special place for me because it's a place that I feel closer to God. It's about 10 minutes walking from my home and I'm very blessed to be able to go and visit that often. Uh, so anytime that I'm seeking guidance, I go to the temple and I I pray and I ask God for direction in my life and I have felt that over the last two weeks of where I need to go and where I need to be and just a reassurance of, yeah, I'm on the right path. This brings to mind Pritha's discussion between a transactional relationship with God and a transformational one. And I was really struck by how most people, when they start out, whether it's as a young child or as an adult, whenever they're really beginning to have that relationship with a higher power, it really does start out transactional. It's, what can I get here? What is God going to do for me if I'm nice to people or if I just pray and ask for this bucket of blessings to to be brought down for me? As opposed to once you really start to allow that connection with deity to transform you into the person that you know you should be. It also kind of ties into her discussion of blissful discontent, that once we have that transformational relationship with a higher power, we can really start making that eternal progression and always becoming better than we were the day before and not just being fine with mediocrity. She doesn't ask for very much when she's praying. And um, I think we've been given so much. We shouldn't be asking for so much. But if we do ask, we do need to be specific in what we're asking. I think that the, uh, the transactional and transformational idea of growing to love and trust somebody is like pretty natural. Don't you see that with your kids? You start off with a, a child who everything they say is, I want, I need, I need, I want. Then they learn to trust you as a parent. And then as I've gotten older and, and I've become a parent, I feel my mom in me. Like that, like as you were saying about that, that's kind of cool. That is, kind of, I think it's a natural change after you've done a little transaction and you say, "Okay, this is a trustworthy place." Then you can have some more faith, and then that starts to become part of you and be transformational. That really resonates with me because I feel like my personal relationship with God is, "All right, I'm trying to go a certain direction. I need some guidance from you. Help me out." <laughs> and I feel like. That is how um, Pritha was describing her personal relationship with deity is she's a mother and she has a child and she wants the best for that child. So she pleads so much with the deity that she has in order to know the direction that her family needs to go. She also said that she doesn't ask for much, as Lauren said, which I really respect um, because she knows that God already knows her. 
So why ask for something that God already knows about you, right? I've seen in my life that when I'm praying to God, it's not so much that I'm praying to let him know something, but I'm praying to tell him something so that I can figure out something about me so that I can progress a little bit further. So I was really grateful for Pritha's thoughts about being a mother. You know, Spencer, you you said something about how when you're praying that it's more so just like you're talking to God, trying to figure out what path am I going to go. And it, it made me think about when Pritha was speaking about her father who was about to pass and how she went to her shrine and it wasn't so much a, a prayer of heal my father, save him, make him make him well. It was more of just her her pleading to say, I know that his time's come. Just let him go. It's it's not almost fair for him to still be here in this pain. And I know in my own life I've seen a lot of power come out of kind of having that understanding that I can talk to God just like anyone else. I can say anything that's on my mind, and I feel like he listens. I don't always feel like I get the answer that I want or sometimes any answer at all, but I know that I at least feel like he's listening. One thing comes to mind for me, originally the one of the first questions that I noticed and I marked down was here are all of these faiths in the world. I grew up in one of them. Is it the right one? There really are thousands of faiths out in the world. There's Christianity, there's Hinduism, there's Judaism, and there's Buddhism. There's different branches of all of these general religions. How is a person supposed to come to know if the one that he's in is really the right one? There's a beautiful comparison to this in the Christian Bible, which talks about a tree. And if this tree is a good tree, then you'll know it's a good one by the fruits which it produces. I've seen in my life as I've strived to understand mainly my purpose as a person, as my place in society, I've seen that my faith in Jesus Christ has always led me down the right direction, and the only times that I've ever gone wrong is when I've chosen to act against that faith, and that has been my mistake. (laughs) And I actively and willingly admit that. But as far as that question goes, it's an interesting one that everyone has to pose to themselves because tradition is a great thing, but it's more important to figure out who you are as a person and uh, where you need to go. A lot of that ties into how she is constantly searching for knowledge of any kind. And she she mentioned that as one of the uh, four ways to manifest divinity in your soul. And she was incredibly humble about it and kept saying that, you know, I, I don't know enough to ask these kinds of questions. And I think that that really shows a certain level of knowledge and understanding to know that there is so much that you don't know. And I feel like that's kind of where I'm at in a lot of my knowledge, whether it's scholastic or uh, spiritual or being a, a fairly new parent, 
You know, there's just so much that I don't know that sometimes I'm not even sure I know the questions to ask to figure out what I don't know. And when she said Denali gives her answers to questions that she has not thought to ask, it's exactly what Spencer just says. Like, we just, some things we just don't know and God can still give us direction without us even asking. When she was asked about her daily walk and she said her faith hasn't changed but her understanding has, I think that's wisdom, that's life, that's looking for things and finding the things you do know and don't know and trusting God that he knows at all. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks to our panelists and especially to Preetha Lal for generously sharing her time and thoughts with us. In Good Faith is committed to the idea that we all benefit from hearing people of widely varying backgrounds tell about their personal experience with faith and belief. In fact, we think people with such experience deserve some of our best listening. We hope you found value in today's conversation, and we welcome your thoughts and ideas about the program. Reach out to us anytime via email at ingoodfaith@byu.edu. Find all of our shows archived online for listening or sharing at byuradio.org slash ingoodfaith. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. I hope you'll join with us again soon, right here, In Good Faith.